We come to God's word in the Gospel of John in chapter 20. I invite you, as you're able, to stand for the reading. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I know that Endgame came out this week. Don't worry, no spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. But I want you to know that is not why we have a passage from the end of the Bible. Nor is it why we're reading from the end of the Gospel of John as a part of our encounter with God's Word this morning. I also know that May 4th isn't just the day that we serve the city. Serve the city, abq.com, by the way. It's also, for those Star Wars fans here, may the 4th be with you. Also, not the reason, also, not the reason why I entitled the sermon title today. Our only hope. It is not a reference to Princess Leia's famous line, Help me, Obi-Wan, you're my only hope. Interesting, though, as it may be, however, that these 
big productions do attempt to be larger than life. Heroes like Obi-Wan who saved the day, wait for it, saved the day by dying, defeating the Death Star, defeating death. And as it turns out, we find out later in the movie, he wasn't fully, really dead. Isn't it interesting that in our secular age, and I'll talk more about that in a few moments, that the hunger for these larger-than-life heroes that echo the one true hero continues to be told. So that does lead me to why we are in the book of Revelation today and the Gospel of John. It's because these words don't have to try to be anything but what they are, words, as Jesus said, and as we hear in the gospel today, words of life from the one who truly did die, from the one who truly did defeat death itself. Yes, spoiler alert, Jesus is our only hope. But how can this be? Well, we ask that question along with Thomas this morning, don't we? As we encounter him in the gospel, we'll talk about this today. And all dad jokes aside about the blockbuster stories that headline our movie theaters and fill our TV commercials with trailers, and despite the growth of secularism, which, as I looked up in several different lexicons this week, including Latin, English, and French, that this, this word secular just literally means out of the earth, out of the material of the earth. Materialism. That is a worldview that secludes God from the equation and looks for hope from the things of this world. And yet, this secular world can't help but long for larger-than-life heroes that defeat our greatest enemy, death. But then we have Jesus. Isn't it interesting, again, that Jesus comes to this world, that he breathed life into this world that he made, but he comes In the ordinary, he comes as the Word made flesh. And so whether you're looking for hope to the sky or to the stuff of this earth, Jesus is here to proclaim the truth. Wherever your eyes may be looking, he is inviting you to turn his eyes towards him. And he does that in the ordinary parts of life. He does the extraordinary in the ordinary. He does the extraordinary in flesh on earth. What some of us miss is that God uses the ordinary all the time, every day, to do this extraordinary work. I looked up some of the sermons I've preached in this last year, missing, making sure as a preacher I'm not getting in the rut, just saying the same thing over and over again, unless, of course, the Scripture leads us there. And one thing I noticed that came up over and over again from 
My text, and I think from the text that we were studying together, is this reality that God does the extraordinary in the ordinary. Just look at this Lord's Supper that I talked about earlier during the announcements. How does God bring us that means of grace? Through bread and wine. And how about the entrance into the church, entrance into adoption with God, baptism. God does that with water, ordinary stuff. Even in our daily lives, he gives us pictures, images, real living, breathing examples of what his love for us should look like. What am I talking about? I'm talking about marriage. Ever wonder why the church holds so closely to the biblical definition of marriage? Well, among other reasons, as we hear from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, it's the living picture for God's relationship with his people. Christ, the husband, the head of the church, lays down his life for his bride, for the church. And then we see in that text in Ephesians and now in Jesus' life, that mutual submission, that submission to Christ. Paul tells us this image of Christ and his bride is the image of not only marriage, but of God with us. It's a living image in our ordinary, everyday life. I like how Gene Veith puts it in his book, Authentic Christianity. He says, the father coming home from work, dead tired, still finding the energy to be attentive to his wife and children, has presented his body as a living sacrifice for his family. The mother working two jobs, yielding her sleep and sanity sometimes to the children, has presented her body as a living sacrifice to the family. Yes, God shows up in the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He does it every day through our daily callings. And he commissions us there. Just as now, in this ordinary gathering with the disciples, Thomas touches the hands and side of his friend in ordinary flesh. And from that becomes, as Wallace J. Warner calls in his book, Forensic Faith, a commissioned casemaker. Warner was a homicide detective, and he is always looking for those who make the case, eyewitnesses of those who have seen what is true. And so Thomas becomes an eyewitness, a casemaker for us, for those who didn't believe to believe. In fact, isn't it interesting that the case makers that Jesus uses are these flawed disciples? And before we pick on Thomas too much, the other, as we hear, the disciples had already gotten their eyewitness experience. So it wasn't just Thomas that wanted it. But these disciples, they went from being all in, believing, following Jesus for three years, to then, on Good Friday, to scattering and hiding 
and no longer believing, fearing for their lives. Then something changed. What changed? And despite the risk of their own lives, they began to believe again. And so I submit for your consideration this morning that you don't have to go farther than the testimony of Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of the world and of our faith, not just out of this stuff, the, the secular world, not just out of the stuff of the earth, but as God's word speaks to this ordinary stuff, he does the extraordinary. As God infuses his word in the ordinary stuff of this world, Jesus makes a case not just that he rose from the dead, but also that he is our only hope. C.S. Lewis put it this way, Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And it's because of the reality of this hope, hope revealed to us finally, ultimately, in the resurrection. We look for hope in so many different places, in movie theaters, in ourselves. Where do you look for hope? Is it your 401k? Is it your transcript? Graduates? Is it your, or soon to be graduates? Is it your list of scholarships? Is it that promotion you're hoping for? Is it your family? Where are you looking for hope, hope that will last? Are there stumbling blocks for you to get to that hope? Does the heartache of this world or just the grind of the daily to-do list distract you from an ultimate hope? Or reports of tragedy around the world, like we heard on Easter Sunday of our sisters and brothers in Christ being slaughtered? Or just this weekend, in San Diego at a synagogue, or the dear loss of some of our neighborhood children recently. We've been praying for the loss of their lives in a fire, or a teen passing away who attends one of our local high schools. That broken world is hard. Maybe it's more personal, even closer to the home for you. Maybe that brokenness is a stumbling block. Maybe doubt, like it was for Thomas, is a stumbling block. Where are you looking for hope to deal with the reality of life and the brokenness of the world? Because when we look for hope, we discover in the midst of this real life that it's much harder than the hardship of fictional bad guys like Thanos or even Darth Vader. I submit to you a God who welcomes your questions today. Who welcomes you like he did Thomas. And responds to a church like he did the, in the book of Revelation as it was written to those seven churches. Under pressure to cave into the culture of their day. Under the pressure of our culture today. Under the pressure of our own pain. Under the pressure of our own doubt. Under the 
pressure of our own desire to meet the world with our own self-confidence, to have hope from a hero outside of ourselves, real hope, not mythological, not fictional, but historical, and not just ancient history, but a hope that is for today. Let's look at Jesus' encounter with Thomas for a moment to reveal that Jesus is, in fact, our only hope. I like how scholar William Barclay observed some characteristics of Thomas. First, his mistake, that he was off by himself, alone. That was, as Barclay would articulate, and I would agree, his biggest mistake. Next, he honestly, and this is to his credit, shared his disbelief. Next, when confronted with the evidence, emboldened by the word of Christ, he confessed his faith. He changed his mind. That is not easy to do. And in the end, he becomes, as we have said, all in and a case maker for the reality of Christ and his resurrection. First, let's talk about him being off by himself. It's not that he didn't want to see it with his own eyes, as the other disciples did. It's that he just wasn't there. I like how F.F. Bruce noted that in our grief, we sometimes get together with others. Some of us retreat to our own devices. That's what Thomas did. And it's not that we can't have different expressions of our personality and how we deal with grief, but it is that we are meant and designed to do this life and do this faith in life together. We have not a private faith, but a public faith. And as I examined the word forensic in Wallace's book, Forensic Faith, it discovered that it means to take what is hidden and make it public. Our faith is being made public here in this text with Thomas. But Thomas needed to be with the fellowship to discover that. So often when we, in our doubt or in our grief, walk away from the fellowship of believers, we end up walking away from our very faith in Christ. We are designed to do this together, not alone. I pray that this place, Faith Lutheran, is a place where those struggling with suffering, those broken in relationship, those grieving, those struggling with deep or serious doubt would stay in fellowship among us and be transformed like Thomas was in the midst of the body. And so off by himself he went until he missed the opportunity, but Jesus came calling. He came back to the fellowship. And in that place, having honestly shared his disbelief, good for him, we need to be real with each other. Scientists, I think, will tell you there's nothing more valuable than a good question. Just as in a public courtroom, lawyers ask good questions to get the truth out, everyone needs to be able to hear that testimony from that good question. And Jesus welcomed Thomas's good questions. 
so that he could lay out his testimony before him. But here is another great attribute of Thomas. Confronted with the evidence, he changed his mind. Now, language buffs here might be interested to note that when he said, my Lord, my God, he spoke it in the nominative, not the vocative. Vocative being an address to someone, nominative being a statement of who he is. In these words, he changed his mind from unbelief to belief as Jesus invited him. He proclaimed that Jesus is, in fact, Lord, is, in fact, God. It's hard for us to do. A buddy of mine, in a debate with a friend of his in northern North Dakota, a Jehovah Witness who just refused to believe that Jesus could both be God and human at the same time, when confronted with this expression of faith by Thomas saying that Jesus, the man in the flesh, God in the flesh, was both God and man right there before him. And as he confessed, my Lord, my God, he just couldn't receive it. He refused to receive it. In fact, he, he said Thomas's confession was, you know, he was just exclaiming, my Lord, my God, like you would when you hit your thumb with a hammer. Of course, that ridiculous refute doesn't stand. And Thomas is confessing his faith. And Thomas becomes a catalyst for us to be a case maker. Thomas becomes all in. And Jesus invites us to do the same, to be all in. He invites us like Thomas learned not to separate ourselves, but welcome others in because God did design this faith to be public. To bring your questions to Jesus because he can handle it. And to not harden your heart when the truth is set before you. N.T. Wright wrote a book, I think almost 800 pages. I'd have to look at it again. But it's thick on the evidence of the resurrection. And when he shared it with an Oxford colleague, his colleague acknowledged the amazing scholarship, the great notes, the thoroughness of his work. And yet he said, but I just, I just, I just can't believe. His heart was hardened. He wouldn't believe. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to receive that gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to believe. To then be a case maker like Thomas, commissioned by Jesus himself. And as you heard in the text today, starting there in verse 19, Jesus breathed his breath on them and gave them the Holy Spirit, commissioned them to be case makers for this good news of the gospel to the world. That same commissioning he gives to you and to me now. He uses the same word in Greek, that is echoed in Hebrew for, that Jesus used when he breathed life into the world in Genesis, he breathed life now into us. A world that has trouble believing in the resurrection but still looks for folks in theaters like fictional characters like Obi-Wan to save them. God is calling us to be the case maker now for this world. This world hungry to have real hope. Because we, friends, you and I, 
We have a forensic faith, a public faith, empowered not by some impersonal force, but the very personal Holy Spirit. Yes, spoiler alert, Jesus is our endgame. Our real and only hope. He did die. He did rise again. And that, you have to admit, even if you have trouble believing, if He does that, that changes everything. Bring your hurts and doubts and all to Jesus. Come to His church with it all and let His Word speaking to you His word that comes to the ordinary of life. Speak to you. This word speaking through history leads you to Jesus. Turn you into, like Thomas is for us now, a case maker witness. Bring it to one who brings hope to a broken heart. Brings life from death. Reconciles the broken is evidential even, historical, but not just ancient history, is here with us today. Empowered not by my eyes of confession, but the same Spirit who breathed life into the stuff of this world and breathed life into Jesus' fallen body and raised Him from the dead. This Word that brought light to the world and life to Jesus. The greatest spoiler alert of all time who said to this world, you, have in it, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Jesus is our only hope. Amen.